Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshe Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Azinu, God as Parent, the transformative idea of a loving God. How are your high holidays going so far? They've been beautiful, um, really moving. It's so nice to be back in shul with uh, with our community. It's really, and, and with our new cantor, it's just been fantastic and really um, so happy to be there with you. So thank you. We're recording this uh, actually the day before Yom Kippur. So I wish you and everyone, Gamar Chatimah Tovai, that we should all be inscribed for a good, sweet, healthy year. And so let's get started. This okay. week's portion, it's one of the final portions of the book of Deuteronomy, and it is Moses' great speech. Moses, who suffered with a, uh, a speech difference, gets up and delivers his final oration, but it's a not a speech per se, but a shirah. It's an epic poem, which in a way is the highest form of speech. So Moses, who said to God, I'm, I'm slow of tongue, now becomes the person who gives this remarkable, remarkable, uh, beautiful, poetic speech at the end. So it shows us that, you know, all of us can evolve in powerful ways. Yeah, and, and I think it also reminds us that nobody really sets out in life to, to take on that kind of responsibility of leadership. It's something that finds you and amazes me is that Moses is receptive and willing to meet those challenges. That's always inspiring. And not always willingly either. Right. He has to be pushed and, and challenged, but he does it. And we also see that his relationship with God has evolved. He first meets God the burning bush, I was going to say that he was being stalked, you know, by, by God out in, in the, in the uh, wilderness. But there he is. God just appears. But now it's been more than 40 years. And not only has God gotten to see the best of Moses, but, but Moses has also gotten to know God. And so in this epic poem, Moses describes the relationship between God and Israel not focusing on Egypt, the Egyptian experience, but actually looking at the desert experience. Moses says, he, meaning God, found him in a desert region, in an empty howling waste. He engirded him, watched over him, guarded him as the pupil of his eye. And so what Moses is suggesting here is that God is a parent. God is, you know, looking over Moses like a parent. And what he's really looking at is like a mother bird, like an eagle who rouses his nestling, gliding down to his young. So did he spread his wings and take him, bearing him along on his pinions. The Lord alone did guide him, no alien God at his side. So if you wanted to know where the notion of God as parent appears, this is actually the source right in Moses' last talk. And here we see the evolution of a relationship with God, a God who commanded, but now a God who Moses sees as a protective parent. And I think that's a beautiful idea, an evolving notion of God. And it can be seen even in the relationship with God and Moses, as you suggested just a minute or two earlier, that you know Moses is someone who evolves. Moses is someone who needs to be challenged, who needs to be pushed at times. This relationship now you know, going on 40 years, 
must have felt like a personal one for, for Moses in a way that he felt like this God was not just protecting him, but pushing him to be um, the best person he could be and watching him, watching him grow. There's sort of something really beautiful in that and something very intimate. I think so. I think, and I think Moses had, had maybe the most intimate relationship with God and, and the, um, the Torah is going to take note that Moses was the only one to see God face to face. Now, even though that just means that Moses saw God's back, that what what the Torah is really speaking to is the intimacy of the relationship. And if you think about the Bible kind of writ large, then what you have is the story of Adam and Eve and God saying to Adam and Eve when Adam is hiding in the garden, Ayeka, where are you? But what we see is that God continues to ask that question in every generation. So God says to Noah, Ayeka, where are you? to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right, and, and so on. And each one has to come up with their answer, but it's Moses who has this, the depth of relationship to refer to God as a parent. And if you think about your parents, what are some of the qualities of parenthood? Or think of yourself as a parent. We're now applying to God. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, we're at the stage in our lives where we just sent our oldest daughter off to college, and it makes you think about the relationship in a new way and what it means to parent when you're also trying to promote independence uh, with with your child, when you want the child to um, grow up and do their own things, how much parenting is appropriate at different times in their lives. You know, these are things that change over the course of your life and our you know relationship with God changes over the course of our life. But maybe over the course of history, God's role as a parent doesn't change as much. Well, I don't know that our roles of a parent actually change that much. There are two there are two really interesting metaphors that Moses is using. One is that God guards Israel like the pupil of his eye. In other words, if something comes close to your eye, you immediately flinch. It's not like you have to think about it. It's an instinct to protect your eye. Mm-hmm. And so it's so what's saying is that God does the same thing and then Moses builds on this metaphor and applies it to the eagle. And the eagle carries its young on its wings because it flies higher than any other bird. And so therefore, if there is a scavenger kind of bird that's looking to kind of pull the young from the claws of a bird, that for a lower flying bird, they carry their young in their claws so that their bodies protect them from birds who are flying higher. But an eagle is flies higher than any other bird, so it doesn't actually carry its young in its claws, it carries it on its back, on its pinions, so that their bodies would shield their young. And what I would suggest to you is that those two aspects that are instinctual for parents never leave us. Even though, as you're saying, you have to kind of sometimes nudge your children or sometimes they just let them fly out of the nest as your daughter's now in college, but at the same time, that protective nature that's so much a part of instinctual part of parenthood never leaves us. Oh, yeah, no question about that. And that's just something that I think is deep within each of us. That instinct of protection never goes away. And, you know, you feel like you would do anything to to protect your children. And it's warming to think that um, of that interpretation of God is protecting us. That's certainly a comforting thought. You know, I remember when our children were born and this sense within me. I think it's different for men and for women, for a woman bearing a child. I think that sense of protectiveness 
is takes place the the moment that a woman knows that she's pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. That she's going to carry this child, and the relationship develops. But for fathers, it's sort of um, kind of vicarious at first, while during the pregnancy. But when the baby's born and you see it for the first time, what I marveled at within myself was that there was nothing I wouldn't do for this newborn baby within the instant of seeing it, with the instant of birth, right? It was no longer an intellectual choice. What I was struck by was the instinctual process that had just clicked in, that I had no control over. I didn't give any thought to it. It just happened. And I thought that that was such a powerful, powerful thing. It's just such a part of the childbirth experience. Yeah, and it does seem to be just something that's baked into us. There's no way to explain it, and it happens, as you said, you know, almost, you know, it happens instantly as soon as you, you hold that child for the first time. Right, and I love the notion that this idea comes to its apex on a theological level on the high holidays, that we have this moment where we say this prayer, Avinu Malkenu, right? Now, we say it in the morning, but... At the end of Nila, right, the end of the whole, this 25 hours of Yom Kippur, and we actually add a whole special service. It's the only day of the year we actually say the Amida. We say it five times in one day. So we add a whole service to, to give ourselves the last chance to find forgiveness from God. When I mean forgiveness, what I'm really saying is to be in relationship with God in the most intimate and deepest of ways. And there we are, and we're standing up there. And what's the last prayer that we're going to say before we say the Shema and then sound the Shofar? It's Avinu Malkenu. We say Avinu Malkenu because it's saying to God, I remember what Moses said, you are our parents, so I can approach you in this way. But I'm also deeply aware of Malkenu. I'm deeply aware that you're the sovereign that you are the creator of all, and that you are making yourself known to me, that you're available to me, not only to me as an individual, but I'm standing with the people of Israel in this kind of really powerful moment. And it's just striking to me of the through line from Moses's words to Avinu Malkinu. Yeah, and what I love about this and what I love about what you're saying is that you know, these are the... Um the highest holidays, the days when we are the most reverential. And yet it's also in many ways, the most intimate uh, moment that we have with God. And you don't feel like you're, you're praying in some kind of a distant way to something so high and, and mighty that you can't relate to it. We are relating to it. I'm thinking about the whole process of Yom Kippur, where we're standing up and we're literally beating our breasts, Asham nu bagad nu gazal nu, you know, al we have sinned before you. And over and over and over, we're acknowledging this. But at the same time, we're singing the 13 attributes of God, Adonai, Adonai, Al-Rakum, Vachanu, God, you are gracious and compassionate, long forbearing and abundant in kindness. And so we're constantly dealing with both sides of this, that a parent wants what's best for us. A parent sees who we can be probably more than any one, any other one. But a parent also has the job of making sure that we are disciplined, there are boundaries in life, 
And when we cross those boundaries, the parent has to help the child understand it, sometimes through punishment. That's not in anyone's best interest, certainly not your own. And sometimes things are dangerous. So the idea that comes to me is like the parent that says "Don't to the child, don't go near the stove. And then two minutes later, the child's burned their finger. And the parent is hugging the child and trying to calm the child. And at the same time, they're dealing with the fact that the child didn't listen to them, right? So it seems like that's our relationship with God as well, writ large. The beauty is in the complication of it, right? If you tried to make sense of your relationship with your kids and tried to make sense of every decision you make and everything you do to try to teach them, um, you couldn't it, because it, it's all a swirling mass of contradictions. And, and that's the real world that we live in. And that's uh, why we can talk about this year after year and learn more every year and study this and, and think about it so much because it is so beautifully complicated. And it's beautifully human. Mm-hmm. Because because what I was hearing you say is there's nothing rational about this. If you yeah. if you if you looked at some of the things that you have done for your kids, right? There's nothing, and no rational person would have done some of those things. But it's what you but what you do as a parent, and it's basically it's a great argument, by the way. And we're not going to go down this road, but it's a great argument against the expansive power of artificial intelligence because a machine can never be a parent. And that's an interesting idea because people are developing relationships with their machines, sometimes in some scary ways, in Siri for sure, you know, but they're not a parent and they're certainly not God. And so here we are on the precipice of a new year. And as Moses's life is coming to, to an end and his leadership is coming to an end, he remains Moshe Rabbeinu. He is Moses, our teacher. And he gives us this remarkable metaphor of God as a parent. Amidst all of the possibility of punishment and, and mayhem, there's also God as parent. And we're constantly kind of trying to find the balance between God as judge, God as king, and God is parent, as God is merciful. And that, I guess, is what it means to be a Jew, especially on the high holidays. Yeah, and what it means to be loved. I think that's right. Well said. Well, Jonathan, I wish you and your family a happy, sweet new year, and I pray that all of us will be written in the book of life for a good, good year. Amen. Amen.